and creepy at the same time. <laughs> it's that old. It's it's that I'm, it's that South Park episode where where uh, Ike is banging his teacher and the, all the cops are like, "Which one, the blonde?" Nice, <laughs> nice. Yeah, it's that because if it was a twelve-year-old girl, you'd be like, "That guy belongs in prison." Yeah. But the fact yeah, that it's yeah. a hot chick and she's playing like seventeen, eighteen. Mm-hmm. Nice. I'm like, this is wrong. <laughs> this is awesome for the kid. Good for you. <laughs> Hey, El Tato. What's going on? We got a podcast of Buff and the Blazer. If I was a listener, where would I go to find more? You can check us out on our website, thebuffandtheblazer.com. Drew over there writes an article that goes along with every single episode. You can find all kinds of little extras on the articles, and you can listen to the podcast right there. Also, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And, of course, we're on Twitter at Buff and Blazer. Follow us there. Get those clicks, people. The Buff and the Blazer. Welcome to the Buff and the Blazer, episode 14. I'm Drew, and as always, I'm joined by my good friend and yours, Mr. El Tato. What's up? How's it going, El Tato? It's going good. Been cooped up in the house all yeah. week, but still working, so it doesn't really feel that different. My car's just getting a nice break from the commute, so. Same here. Eating a still lot of junk food. Join the club, man. Join the club. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of the best, best foods from our childhood. Right. So today, we're discussing... A little film that came out in 2019, last year, called Honey Boy, directed by Alma Harrell and starring Shia LaBeouf. And as always, El Tato, I want to start with you and kind of get a sense of how this movie made you feel. What were your thoughts on Honey Boy? I was uh, pleasantly surprised coming out of the movie. I thought it was going to be kind of a poor me, my childhood was so hard type story. But it was there's a little bit of that. There's a little bit, but he I think he did a really good job of like not it's it just didn't feel like a, a grab at at sympathy. It felt more of just like this is my backstory kind of thing. Maybe in like a response to to people that like have a lot of criticism for for him and his adult life and choices he's made, I guess. But in terms of the movie, I thought it was shot really well. It was pretty entertaining and uh the acting was just fantastic across the board so i was very pleasantly surprised coming out of the movie yeah i think i gotta echo everything you just said and i guess i'd heard about this film there was a lot of buzz going on about it with critics and everyone at the the film circuits i guess on the surface it didn't seem like something that was really up my alley and like you i thought I mean, first off, I didn't really think that I'd be interested in Shia LaBeouf's backstory. Like, I know this, I, f I knew this was a, like a semi-autobiographical movie, but once I actually put it on and got into it, I was really surprised. I was really blown away. It's very deep and powerful. All of the, the techniques across the board are so good. The acting's phenomenal. It's beautifully shot. The score's really, really nice. Everything complements so well. And 
after the film, I really got interested and wanted to see sort of how the idea came about for him to write this. And I guess his, well, the, the start of the creation of this movie is kind of an interesting story uh, that we'll get into a little bit. But like I said, I, I, I was pretty much blown away by what I saw on screen. I wasn't expecting something of that caliber. And like, I got to give props to Shia LaBeouf. 2019, that was like a bang year for him. Like the same year you had Peanut Butter Falcon and this, like written by him and starring him. That's just my hats off to the guy. The guy knows knows his craft and he's doing a great job. Yeah, and you got to give him props for putting it all out there. Yeah. You know, the good and the bad, and that's kind of what I liked a lot about the movie is he presents, you know, some of the things in his life that might be looked at from an adult perspective as being really bad, but he doesn't present them as re- really good or bad. In one way or another, no. like the smoking at a young age, for instance. Yeah. You know, it's just kind of is what it is type of movie. Right. And and I, I kind of like that a lot. It's not like playing up abuse or how bad he had it. Yeah. But just like almost as if he was living a, just a completely adult life at like the age of 12, right? That's when the movie takes place. Over a span of a few weeks when he's 12 years old, right? Right. At least the little kid part of it. Yeah, and and to me, that was one of the most interesting parts of the story is that you get to see this, like, I mean, how old is he in the the film? He has to be maybe, what, 11, 12 years old, maybe? I think it's it's Uh, 12 years old. Yeah, 12. And the kid's just completely thrown into, like, the jaws of the Hollywood system. And he's like on the road. He's getting paid per diem. Love that per he's, diem. Love the yeah. per diem reference, man. Per Shout diem's out to the awesome. Per diem. <laughs> Change your life right there. Yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, he's getting the per diem checks. He's living in a motel, just in and out of the studio. It's, it's a really interesting look into the life of a child actor. And it's, I wonder if it's kind of a shared thing between child actors because a lot of actors at least from some of the ones that you read about they had it rough after whatever kind of big acting gig they had as a child like one kid that comes to mind is jake lloyd in uh star wars the phantom menace like episode one he played young anakin okay and like i guess after that film he just got ridiculed and he was like in and out he's like what like seven eight years old in that movie yeah 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 and that's fucked up Yeah, I guess it's just, it's this weird kind of thing that happens to a lot of child actors in Hollywood, I guess. But this film really takes a deep dive into that. And one other thing I'll say before we kind of dive in a little bit to the story is, I was also worried that this film was going to be really heavy-handed and really kind of, I don't know, just beat you over the head with these really dramatic, intense moments. And there are a lot of them in the film, but I, I was almost immediately gonna gonna say that this is a film you probably wouldn't want to watch a second time i could totally watch this film a second time oh yeah the way they present the material it's not too so heavy-handed that it takes away from your enjoyment like you it's really really difficult to watch some of the scenes but at the same time it has this really beautiful quality to what's on screen and getting emotion out of the characters without even any line of dialogue it's kind of a weird a weird thing that went on in this movie, and I really enjoyed that. 
Nice, nice. Yeah, I get what you're saying. It could have been just like completely scene after scene of how rough he had it. Yeah, just beat you over the head like heavy, not enjoyable to watch. You know, there's some films that you can watch once and you wouldn't want to go back and revisit just because there was nothing enjoyable about it at all, about yeah. the experience. It was just all so heavy and depressing. Yeah. This film isn't like that, and it's and that's the hardest thing to pull off with a story like this, I think. Yeah, there's quite a bit of fun, even in some of the heavy scenes, like where they're rehearsing lines, him and his dad yeah. in the in the hotel room, that are like, it's like two in the morning or whatever. Even some of right. that is like fun at, at points. Yeah, and I think some of the saving graces, too, is that you have his father who, who definitely neglects his son in certain ways, at least in terms of like his emotional needs. But I love how complex the writing is because at the same time, you also get little moments where you see his dad and his dad really cares about his son, just sort of in his own way. And it makes the characters a lot more interesting than just, you know, my dad was a piece of shit and this is why I am the way I am. And here's just two hours of my dad, you know, screwing with me. I never got that vibe. Yeah, I, I watched an interview. He was on uh, Kimmel talking about this movie. And he was saying his dad was more of uh, like his buddy growing up. Yeah, I could see that. Rather than like a father figure. And that kind of comes across a lot in the movie. Kind of just treats, yeah. him, treats him like a homie. Yeah, that is true. You definitely get that that sense uh, with their relationship. But it's it's really complex. The writing is really just deep like you really get into the meat and the grittiness of the characters and it's uh, it's just masterful writing from Shia LaBeouf the guy knows what he's doing he's like he's honed in on the craft so let's get into the story a little bit let's start off a little bit with the background of how this film got started and I found that just watching on Amazon some of this some of these little tidbits come up and you can kind of read about the background of the film but I guess in 2017, Shia LaBeouf got arrested for public intoxication, and he was, to, he was ordered to he was ordered to to <laughs> to uh, ten weeks of rehab. So he gets into rehab, and while in there, he finds out that he has PTSD. And so immediately after he finds that out, I don't know if this is part of his therapy or part of his process to get better but he ends up writing the script for honey boy so that whole part of the movie's true yeah it seems like it that seems to be like a direct connection so he writes the script for honey boy and two weeks after he's been out of rehab the film goes into production and starts shooting just two weeks after so really? it was like yeah he must have taken the 10 weeks to really i don't know i don't know how many drafts the script went through i don't know how much he retooled it or worked on it, but it seems like once he got out, it was just, it was made. I guess he was able to attract, you know, a director and get people on board to do it. I don't know how true that is, but two weeks after you come out and you have, you're already shooting, that's really, really hard to do. Well, it might make sense too as to why the movie is so almost uh, very quick in terms of, the time frame that he kind of turned his whole shit around. Oh yeah. And how, and how, you know, if he got into rehab and just kind of spit all of this shit out onto paper, 
Yeah. And because that's kind of what the the timeline of the movie too, right? It's almost like yeah. a ten week long or maybe a little shorter. Now it's got to be more than ten weeks because his dad's growing weed on the freeway, and that shit is like in full bloom by the end of the movie. And they're little seedlings, so it's got to be like at least <laughs> twelve yeah. to fourteen, if not more, weeks. It's almost <laughs> like it's it's almost like a macro and a micro autobiography. Yeah, like you get to go back in time and see his past as a young child, but then you also get the whole experience of him in rehab. So yeah, it is it is kind of a neat look at, I guess, the whole process. What what really kind of is interesting is when you're watching the film and you're trying to figure out, you know, what on screen is biographical and what stuff is, he takes a little more Liberty in terms of fiction. But I mean, regardless of what's true or not, I thought every scene in the film really did a good job of getting the message through to like explaining how he had it. If you had to guess like what weird part of the movie you think he made up, what would you guess? Because a lot of it, to me, seems so weird that it's probably totally true. I'd say his relationship with the the girl Uh in the hotel. Okay. And we'll talk a little bit about that, too. (laughs) I have, like, really weird feelings about that. I bet that's real. (laughs) You think so? Yeah. It might not be as, like, intimate as as it's portrayed in the movie. But I bet he had some type of moment. You know, at that like just pre-pubescent age, and he just yeah. can't get that chick out of his head. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, be- I bet there's, you know, some element of truth to that part of it. They probably didn't spend the night together, but <laughs> but you don't know. I I don't know. Yeah, let's. I want to bookmark that and make sure we come back. Okay. To that when we start talking a little bit more about the characters, but I definitely want to hit on that. One of my favorite sequences in the whole film is when. You, you're first introduced to him as a young Otis, the main character, Otis. And the actor who plays the young version of Otis is Noah Jupe, I think is how you yeah. pronounce his last name. I'm probably butchering it. Looks like but, it. But, and then this kid, too. This kid's great. But I loved how you're just thrown right into the shoot. Like, I think you come in and are introduced to him, and it's just at the end of the take that they've done. And then he walks out. And the camera pans and follows him through the studio, through the stage. And he, like, gets his bag and grabs a little snack. And then he's on the the bike with his dad. I love that just thrusting you into his his story and his... For us, it's not mundane. But for him, it's, like, just the everyday grind of, like, going to the studio, shooting. It's like a... It's a job. It's nothing nothing fantastic for him. It's just work. And I, you definitely get the sense of that in terms of how they present it and how it was shot. And I thought that was a real strength of, uh, and one of my favorite parts of the film was that opening entrance of Otis. Yeah, I like that part of the movie, but I, I'm never gonna buy in too hard to the to the grind part of it. I'm sorry. Like, well, maybe grind grind is not a, not the best word to use. I'm just saying like. I, I thought they did a good job of showing that his work was not glamorous for him. It was just a job. Like, it wasn't, like, the coolest thing for him. He just went in, did it, and left, and it was just work. Like yeah. anyone doing a 9-to-5. Yeah, but probably making way more money than people doing a 9-to-5. Oh, nine for five. sure. 
for sure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And not, and not to say that 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 works harder than what what we do. If I was 12 <laughs> years old and I could not go to school and stand on a crazy harness zip wire thing and get yeah. pulled out of midair and a pie slammed in my face. Yeah. Sign me up, dude. Let me ask you this cuz <laughs> cuz you're you're making me wonder now. When you watch this film, do you get the sense that Otis, the young Otis, is doing this because he wants to act and do this job or is it more like it's something that he was put into and he's doing the latter is okay yeah i think the latter because my parents come from a you know a semi show business slash professional sporting type of world right and i've seen all these crazy parents of young talented people and very often in that world, the kids are just kind of doing it because they're forced to. And mm-hmm. you almost get the sense that he feels a financial obligation to be doing this, to have his dad around, because the only way he's going to have his dad around is by paying him to, right. to to be his guardian or whatever. Yeah. Or his manager or whatever the technical term was at that point. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think it's probably the latter. He probably didn't want to to be doing it as much. He probably, you know, in some ways did just want to have a normal life with normal friends and not be so adult. Yeah. And like, I never got the sense that he hated acting or he hated doing right. what he was doing in the film. It's but it's I almost also, the other side of it that he hated. Right. It, but I, but I also got the sense that he almost was just doing it to do it. He didn't one way or the other. He didn't hate it or love it. Like um, like the way many of us feel about our jobs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Good point. One thing I wanted to mention, too, was that I also read that prior to making this film, like the two weeks after it went into production, uh, Shia hadn't spoken to his father for seven years before that. Wow. So I guess he was able to reconnect after kind of taking a deep dive into all this stuff for himself. Yeah, I did so, see on that Jimmy Kimmel interview that he lied to his dad and said he they hired an actor to play him, to play the dad. Yeah. And he didn't tell uh, his pops that he was going to play him. Oh, okay. And then this guy's, this guy's uh, he's an intense dude because he said he watched his dad on a webcam watch the movie for the length of the film yeah so he like set up his dad with a webcam and his dad just like <laughs> put the camera and i guess shia told his dad like i don't want to talk to you about it or anything i just want to watch your face watch the movie yeah he's crazy that's some pretty that. that's some pretty you know deep emotional shit that most people would be way too uncomfortable to deal with i certainly would yeah but i didn't have a traumatic or however you want to portray type of bad childhood. So it's hard to relate in that aspect. Yeah. Like, you know, how you have those, some of those guys, like, I don't know, some of these actors that just become totally engrossed in their characters. And then they like, keep it up even after the camera stops rolling just to like settle in to the performance and keep it there. Like, I feel like that's how Shia LaBeouf is with just all aspects of the film. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like even aside from the acting, the guy is just, 
when he gets into something, he takes a deep dive, and it comes across in the work. Yeah, it's really, he's super intense. One thing I really appreciated about him is, uh, I think he said after he filmed, did you watch the the last Indiana Jones film that came out with him in it? No, I've seen like clips of it playing on TV. Yeah. But I haven't watched it. Not the best reception. Yeah, Uh, that movie did not do well. Just to be nice about it. But anyways, there's a bunch of aliens and shit in it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And you got like Maya style temples in Peru. But anyways. In Peru. Yeah, in Peru. Idiots. (laughs) Freaking what's his name? Gibson did that shit too with Apocalypto. He like took from the Atacama to freaking Arizona (laughs) and smashed it all into this one culture. And yeah. then you know, set yeah. it in Colombia. He just put it like right in the middle. It's like yeah. I gotta... <laughs> based on a true story by Mel Gibson. I used to tell people that that movie <laughs> was about a very early Christian missionary uh-huh. that came and just saved all of the <laughs> all of the tribal people <laughs> in wherever it was set, like the Maya world or whatever. I never had yeah. seen the movie or anything. And I was just talking shit about it. But then I actually watch Apocalypto, and if you throw all that stuff out, it's actually an awesome movie. Oh, man. I thought. I mean, it's, yeah, maybe it's not, you know, so accurate in terms of no, history. No, just take it like a Star Wars movie in terms of, yeah, you know, full if you fiction. Sold it as a, yeah, if you sold it as a fiction, it's awesome. It's yeah. like a riveting story. Yeah, it's a street story. It's visually, it's freaking insane and the big old obsidian knives and all the atlas oh it's awesome anyway maybe little tangent we'll come back to that maybe we'll come back to that at some point but anyways so what i was saying back to indiana jones okay that's i was like how did we even get there yeah let's get back on track to indiana jones now so he makes that film and it has an awful reception and he said from that point on he was gonna be very picky with the films that he decided to star in and be in and he said, to hell with plot. I don't care about plot. I'm all about character. And he, if you think of a lot of the roles he's in, they're all very character-driven. And Honey Boy and Peanut Butter Falcon are two great examples of that. And just the fact that both of those films came out last year. Last year was a kick-ass year for film. Just so many good films came out last year. I can't think of a, of a year that had so many just quality top-notch movies yeah yeah we had all the the three fives that we did yeah 1917 mm-hmm. parasite and jojo rabbit jojo rabbit uncut gems was awesome yeah once peanut upon butter a falcon peanut butter falcon once upon a time in hollywood john wick three yeah all these even the the popcorn blockbuster films that came out were just awesome really really good sonic films, yeah well sonic was 2020 sorry yeah. Sonic's winning well, the 2020 it, he, Sonic movie rode of the, the year so far. He, <laughs> he rode the wave of 2019. But yeah, <laughs> so so after after that whole fiasco with Indiana Jones, he's just been on a tear with the kind of roles he's, he's picking and choosing. And I just can't praise the guy en- enough. I mean, the, the guy's doing a bang-up job. And his intensity that you spoke of, like that intense sort of deep dive into into his work really shows in this script with some of the the language of the characters could you totally hear shia like speaking that stuff like that sounds like it came straight out of shia labeouf's mouth 
some of the dialogue, you know? Yeah, and I think some of that dialogue is probably totally accurate. Yeah. To uh, that that point in his life. It's almost like it's interesting because he plays the span of time where he can, like, remember all this super-duper detail. Yeah. Is all... He's you know he's a twelve year old boy the whole time, and yeah. it's almost like it. that that point in life was the whatever was causing him problems later in his twenties. Yeah, was like literally that stretch of a year or whatever it may be. Yeah, and yeah, it's an interesting because you can. There's even points in the movie where he writes down a specific sentence that his dad said to him or that he said back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like those those single lines had like a massive impact on the rest of his life. Yeah. And you can you can get you get that a lot in the movie just certain things that his dad would say to him. Mhm. Even the fact that he calls him honey boy. Yeah. Is like I thought it, that was such a uh, I mean, I can't think of a better title for this film. Like when I'm sitting down watching it, I'm just like I'd forgotten about the title until his dad calls him Honey Boy. And I'm like, man, such a powerful. Yeah, his dad's all fucked up from being at the strip club all night and puking. Because that's the first time he uses it, I believe, Mm -hmm. in the movie, which is kind of towards the end. And he's like smoking Oxycontin or something. I I think so. I don't know what he's doing. He's like smashing up some pills and smoking them on tinfoil in the strip club bathroom. Mm -hmm. But then he comes home and he's all you know, hung over, half drunk still, and pukes, and he's, like, sitting on the toilet all fucked up, and that's when the first time he calls him Honey Boy, I think. Yeah. And, like, even the title of the film just complements everything. Like, it's it's a sweet name, and it comes across and comes out from his father during, like, the lowest time, lowest point in the film for his dad. Like, it's, it's just, man, it's really powerful. I want to go in a little bit to... The structure of the plot, though, like, did you did you enjoy? I thought the way that they transitioned from the present in the film to his past, I liked the balance going back and forth. And when you mentioned his psyche, that's really interesting because it's like you almost get you get a visual representation of his psyche in those moments. Like you'll get a shot of him as an older guy in a corner or something on the ground, and like a slow zoom in you know, to his face or something, and then you just flashback, and you totally understand what he's thinking about in that moment. It's like a visual mapping of his brain. Yeah, it's it's an interesting movie in terms of, I guess I guess you can call it plot. I don't really know if it's a plot, because it's not, it's not yeah. really like this movie is your, is, is, a, is a true story. It's more of mm-hmm. just like a, a recalling of events yeah. in two different time periods. Mm-hmm. So it's like you have him in rehab recalling all of these things. Right. Going on at the same time as you feel like it's not just the whole movie is a flashback. You feel like it's a full movie in both time zones, right? Yeah. So it's not like every time he flashes back, he's a little kid and it's a short little scene and then boom, he's back mm-hmm. to being an adult. It's very spaced out in yeah. terms of the amount of time. So I thought that was really interesting. Well, would this add anything more to your point if I told you that this director is primarily a documentarian? Ah, 
<laughs> See? Yeah. That, yeah, that makes some sense. She's directed three, uh, one, two, three, four documentary films. What are they? Eleven eight sixteen, Love True, Bombay Beach, and Paul Smith, The Reddest Herring. Bombay Beach. So she Beach. directed. Is, yeah. Is that uh? Isn't that out at Salton Sea? The, I think so. the real Bombay yeah. Beach area. Yep, Salton Sea. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. I need to watch that. We freaking yeah work there Bombay so Beach. much. Bombay Beach is one of the poorest communities in Southern California, located on the shores of the Salton Sea. And anybody yeah. listening, the Salton Sea is nothing to see. It's disgusting. <laughs> yeah. It's a giant toilet bowl, essentially. Yeah. It's... It, it looks pretty from afar, but if you get up close, it is nasty, and don't go in that water. Wouldn't recommend getting up close. There's nothing. Yeah, the whole so shoreline is just filled with dead fish and dead birds, dude. <laughs> like it's It's literally like you're walking on... Pure calcium because it's all bones on the beaches. It's disgusting. Yeah, see, this <laughs> this looks really interesting too. Now, have you ever um, seen that Val Kilmer movie, Salton Sea? No, it's awesome. I love Val Kilmer. It's a great movie. Let's review it soon. <laughs> all right, I love me some Val Kilmer. Yeah, I don't care what you guys say. I like Batman. I liked him as Batman. Yeah, I did too. He was my favorite <laughs> Batman. I probably get a lot of hate for that, but he was my favorite yeah. Batman. He's a good Batman. So, yeah, she's Alma Harrell. She's a documentarian. So that probably has a lot to do with the structure of the movie. Yeah, it's framed a lot like a documentary. Yeah, and I think that's why you're able to get that feeling of being just completely thrown into what's going on. And I like what you said, how you don't really consider it a plot because it almost isn't a plot. It's just his story. Yeah, it's not, you know, there's not a, it's just, it's not a hero story. I guess almost every movie we have these no. days is some type of version of the hero epic, you know? Yeah. And it's not that at all. It's it's literally just like a total biographical pick. Yeah. But not with a huge arc. That's what no. I that's what I, I kind of think... notice about the movie too. It's not a huge arc with triumph or anything. It's just kind of like a slow uptick throughout the movie. Yeah. There's a a few like bit felt... of peaks, but I felt like like the his whole arc as a character, and I'm talking about Otis. What age Otis? Is just uh, the older Otis we get at the end of the film. So like basically, I, I felt like what the what the character accomplishes at the end was not even a, not even a full sense of a, of acceptance, but just kind of an acknowledgement of like this is how I had it as a kid. That was my dad, and. You know, maybe it wasn't the best, and maybe I suffered a little bit for it, but it's just the way things are. And I, I almost got the sense that he never had any kind of, like, negative feelings toward his his dad at the end. You know what I mean? Like, he kind of overcame that stuff, I felt like. Or at least not any kind of major judgment at the end. Yeah, that's. I think that's a better way to put it. Yeah. Not a lot of judgment and mm-hmm. a lot of acceptance on behalf yeah. of him accepting his dad. And I, I wonder if his dad got that in the movie. Cause that kind of seems like the, the message he was trying to get across. Yeah. To his father specifically was like, yeah, this was right. my life, but I, I ain't mad at you for it. Yeah. Kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I'm also kind of glad they didn't go the route of, you know, he's like, I totally forgive everything. I understand why you're so awful to me. And I, I, 
you know, I love you and this is all going to be okay and we're good now. That could have been awful if they did it that way. That's And I kind of love how they left it at the end. That's kind of how I, what I'm getting at is that there's not like a massive arc uh, to the story. Right. It's just like yeah. almost like a really mellow graph with a, with some downs in it mm-hmm. and then just yeah. acceptance at the end that this is the relationship. Yeah. And he understands and I, his dad means well. He just doesn't really know how to be a dad, I guess, right? Yeah. And that's that's what was so beautiful, I thought, for me, was that you're able to see all the little complexities in all of the characters, really, especially his father. But yeah, it could have been it could have been completely just I don't know. It, I, f- I felt like if they would have gone that route with his like total forgiveness at the end, that wouldn't have been earned. And the way they did it, I thought, left you at a place where you felt like he reached a point that was good for him, and that's all that mattered. It was good enough. It's good enough for him, and it's not, you know, he still had all that terrible stuff happen to him, but he's okay at the end Yeah, with all of it. And I can't remember if he takes a toke, but when they're, like, sharing the doobie on the freeway yeah, at the end with the big old weed plants... Right. I really enjoyed that because it's just like <laughs> that's the the ultimate beauty of cannabis right there. It's like yeah. you might have some fucked up shit in your life or whatever, but, <laughs> you know, they, they sit down and they smoke a joint. I don't I can't remember if he smokes or not. I think he does. If the yeah. young Otis takes a toke when they're sitting there like overlooking the L.A. River, I think it is. But you know what I'm talking about, because that's like the triumph of the movie. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because it's just like him smoking, smoking weed with his dad. And that's a great metaphor for weed. I was going to ask you that. How much of that do you think was an actual metaphor for the whole film? Like, here's these little weed plants that he planted out as seedlings. And now towards the end, they're like these huge bushes. Yeah, (laughs) I guess. I don't know. I don't know if it's that deep. Yeah, I think it's more of just like. That's probably a big moment in his life when yeah. he smoked weed with your with his dad. Right. Because that's a big deal. Like my, my parents don't use cannabis, but mm-hmm. smoking with uh, parents for the first time was oh, was yeah. kind of a big deal in in my childhood. Mm-hmm. And it didn't happen until not definitely not when I was twelve years old. It didn't happen until I was either seventeen or eighteen for a few of my friends' parents. Okay, yeah. But I think it's a good way to say at at the end of the movie, it's like, yeah, we had some fucked up shit. We don't have the best relationship in the world, but mm-hmm. let's smoke this joint, get over it, and move on. And I f- kind of feel like that's what he did by writing this movie. Yeah. Was just like, yeah, I need to get this stuff all out off my chest and put it out there, and that's mm-hmm. the end of it kind of thing. And I bet his relationship's probably quite a bit better with his father now. I don't know if it was ever bad. Yeah, and and I don't get the sense that it was ever bad. I felt like maybe as a child, he needed another side of his dad that he wasn't getting. But I mean, he does, I always I always took it as though he never wanted his dad to go. He always wanted his dad there. Did you get that? Yeah, he like wanted him around. Ch- mhm. But he enjoyed his dad's company. He wanted him to behave differently. Yeah. While he yeah, was yeah. around. Right. I got that a lot from the movie. The whole embarrassing, your parents are embarrassing factor when you're, you know, 
12, yeah. whatever years old, teenager, your parents mm-hmm. are super embarrassing. <laughs> well, I, w- I want to go back to the scene, though, where he's, he's back at the motel and he's sitting at the pool with his dad. So on screen, do you think that that's actually happening on screen or is that something he's imagining in his mind? At the, and the end. only reason I ask, yeah, the only reason I ask is because there's a scene where the roles have reversed, and he's he's riding the motorcycle, and his dad's on the back, but then like he disappears, and you just get the same shot of him on the motorcycle by himself. Yeah, I think I think that's imaginary at the end. Okay, because that's what I thought his too. dad's got his whole get up, his whole rodeo clown, right, chicken yeah. man get up on. <laughs> Which is strange as fuck, and I, <laughs> apparently that's totally true too. The whole chicken thing. He's they, a pro too. He that, had like video recordings and stuff. Did <laughs> Did you watch the whole credits? Because they showed a bunch of pictures and stuff at I the did. end of the movie. It was so interesting. That's so weird. <laughs> Daredevil chicken. Evil can evil. But no, Foster Farms. Back to your question. No, I think that's an, an illusion or a hallucination at the end of the movie. Okay, that's what I thought too. I just wasn't sure if maybe you got a different different take on that. But let's let's get in a little bit to the meat and potatoes of what I think this film is about, and that's about the characters. The characters of Otis and James Lort, his dad in the film. I gotta say I've seen I've seen a bunch of Shia LaBeouf films and I think it's crazy that he did not get a best actor nomination for this role. For playing his playing. father? For playing his father, I thought he got absolutely snubbed. I've seen a handful, a bunch of Shia's movies, and by far, I think this is his best performance. Like, his best performance, period. Yeah, I think this was better than Peanut Butter Falcon, and Peanut Butter Falcon, he seems to be playing somebody that's much more close to him, his own personality, even if it's yeah. with a Southern kind of twang. Mm-hmm. What's another great movie that he's in? Lawless. I haven't seen it in a long time. And he's just kind of playing like a, a young kind of badass anyway. So to to play something that's yeah. so close to to his upbringing. Mm-hmm. And to I think he did a really good job of it. He doesn't really... Like, you know it's him because you can see his face, but he comes across... It's okay. It's I'll put it this way, it's it would probably be really hard to be believable, where the guy who the little kid is playing is on screen mm-hmm. with him at the same time, and you oh. totally buy it in this movie. I get you. So you got to give him mad props for pulling that off, because just yeah. just like doing that little dance in your head, like okay, the kid is the guy who's playing his dad. I didn't mm-hmm. find myself at all in the movie that, you know, bothering me or, or even coming into my mind, really. And that's no. a testament to how good at acting is playing his father. And for me, that was probably the one element of the whole film where I thought if there was one part of it that could have been, or that is maybe spot on biographical, it's probably the way he portrayed his father. Yeah. At least for me. Yeah. Like, that's almost, for me, it's not a question. It's like... I felt like that's probably the most likely candidate to be like straight biographical, the way he's portraying his dad. Did you hear in that interview? I I felt like I heard this somewhere and I can't remember where, but you notice when he speaks as 
James in the film. He has like this kind of nasally thing going on when he's speaking. Yeah. I I heard something like he's that's how his dad kind of spoke. So during the shoot, he literally stuck up like earplugs into his nostrils so he could sound that way. Really? As he spoke. Yeah. And I can't remember where I heard that. <laughs> that's interesting. Yeah. So like every every scene he had, he was playing with earplugs up his nose. So I'm looking up the best actors for 20 for was it 2020? It will be 2020, I guess. Yeah, it has to be even though yeah, it would have been 2020. with years from 2019. Yeah. And there's only 5 on the list. Adam Driver, Leo, Jonathan Price, Joaquin, and Antonio Banderas. Like you could have popped Labouf okay. on there for this. He totally deserves yeah. to be up there. Like, to me, they need to expand that category. They need to add at least, like, three more slots or something. Is it always just five? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's been that way for a long time. They expanded the best picture uh, category. It never used to be, like, 10 or 12, whatever it is now. Hmm. Well. Yeah, that's. Would he, I, w- I guess maybe he's, like, a tweener in this, because would he be even considered the main character, or is the, is the kid the main no, character? No, no. He'd be considered, a, I guess, a supporting actor, actually. Yeah, they could have popped him on that there. But yeah, that's so that's so a much more impressive list. <laughs> Tom so Hanks, list? <laughs> Tom Hanks, Anthony Hopkins, Al Pacino, Joe Pesci, and Brad Pitt on that Bullshit. list. Bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> Bullshit. I haven't seen They're The so Two good. Popes. Have you seen The Two Popes? This movie's up here. No. I heard that was good, too. Man, see, that's 2019 for you in a nutshell. Just that list of best actors. Like, come on. Yeah, the, the supporting actors is just, like, crazy. Yeah, 2019 was just kick-ass for film. Man. But, yeah, okay, maybe I don't feel as bad anymore. But still, I mean, you could have he could have been in there. If it was any other year, he would have been in there. Yeah, I would expect somebody that made a movie about their life in Hollywood to get a get something did it even get anything did it get any love anywhere did he get a writing credit did he get like a i would think maybe the screenplay at least i bet it won some of like the more more like uh, low-key yeah. festivals i wouldn't be surprised what was i don't know i just don't remember it getting much of a an oscar hype yeah i remember his name being thrown around like for the best actor category or supporting actor category but not much else but yeah that just that just highlights how good this film is yeah it's really really well done what did you think of uh noah jupe how playing portraying young labeouf i thought the acting across the board was phenomenal particularly this kid's performance and here's the other thing too like how good are the child actors yeah now yeah they need to remake uh lord of the flies pretty soon because oh man could you imagine like just split half the cast of like stranger things and yeah there's like 20 (laughs) 20 something kids out there all that age right now you could even make it like a teenage lord of the flies Mm -hmm. and make it a little more adult friendly yeah that'd be sweet yeah i mean this kid though this he was just so impressive and a lot of the scenes too he's in by himself yeah it's just all straight emotion and the way he's able to you you get a look on his face and you just know exactly what he's feeling in that moment. And that's, I, I think people, 
kind of gloss over that when you're watching movies and you see that in an actor. Not all actors can pull that off. And just the fact that this kid's that young doing this, I, I never felt like I was getting a performance out of the kid. Like I really bought into the emotion that yeah. he was portraying on screen. You know, it's... And then the scenes between him and his dad, like between him and Shia LaBeouf, those are, we'll get into those too, but. The the scene that really stood out to me was that when he's on the phone with his mom and kind of mediating them screaming at each other. Oh, man. That's, yeah. That's a really heavy thing for a kid. Yeah. Just think about. And they're just totally shitting on each other. Like yeah, yeah. Both of his ears. You know. Like, that was super stressful. Siblings fighting or parents yelling at other siblings or yelling at each other has, has got to be like some of the single most traumatic things in many little kids' lives, especially yeah. kids that came up in like a house where people were screaming at each other all the time. Mm-hmm. And to have to be the, the walkie-talkie between your parents, you're 12 years old and they're not mature enough to even speak to each other. Yeah. That yeah. that scene really came across. I was like, damn, this kid is a good actor. Because you can like yeah. see it on his face, mm-hmm. you know, how how hard of a time he's having at yeah. saying it and he's kind of just like trying to steer the conversation back to a normal place. It's a really heavy scene. Well, the other great thing he's able to balance so well is he's able to get out that whatever situation he's dealing with, it's really difficult for him, but at the same time he's not like crushed by it. Like he's very you get the sense that he's very level-headed as a child even at that age, like 12 years old, and he just takes it. Yeah, he's way like more he mature than it, his parents. Yeah, he takes it like like a grown man. Like all this really just shitty, stressful stuff. And I thought he was able to balance that really well because you're able to see just how mature and level-headed he is, but at the same time, just how much is crushing him too without being like melodramatic. Yeah. It's, it's yeah, really he, hard to do. He never really has like a total breakdown as, as no. the child. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of like another point of the ending of the movie is like the way he was raised wasn't like super compassionate and supportive. Right. But the way he was raised is the reason he's so freaking mature at such a young age. Yeah. So I get he might be kind of like telling his dad like that is a the good side mm-hmm. of the way you raise like it wasn't as loving and supportive as as most 12 year olds might want but i mean he's like basically an adult he's making all the money he's the only one that has a job he's freaking trying to (laughs) keep his parents from screaming at each other like it's some heavy shit and i thought yeah you know the the kid played out as no joke he he's awesome look out for that guy yeah like i'm just looking at his bio right here i'm trying to see like what else he's been in a Quiet Place 2? That got uh, oh, okay. pushed, didn't it? Yeah, he's in Quiet Place 2. Didn't even realize that. I need to see one, I guess. Yeah. If we're going to do that. Yeah. Have you Ford seen it? Ferrari, he was in there too. Meh. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not that into cars. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair I'll, enough. Ta- I'll take Ferrari. Okay, he's been in, he's been in some stuff. But I mean, the kid is oh man, just a phenomenal job. What'd you think of Lucas Lucas Hedges, the older LaBeouf, the oh man, early twenties, okay. him too. So 
again, this is a point in the story where the character is just completely haunted and crushed, and it's affecting him. And I saw a lot of Shia LaBeouf in this character when I was watching it. Yeah, he like was too blonde of, for me. Yeah. I, <laughs> <laughs> Dye that hair a little yeah, bit. Yeah, a, a little more of the curls he, he needs going on there. <laughs> he did a great job of showing how messed up he is in his adult life, like with the PTSD and just a lot of the mannerisms, a lot of the speech because of the script. I got Shia LaBeouf in that character. Like that was just completely obvious to me. I don't know if you felt the same way. Yeah, like some of the the intensely awkward ways he answers questions when he's speaking with like um, his uh, therapist, <laughs> and then what's his name? His the guy who's like running the pool classes. Yeah. Fuck. What's his name? Oh yeah, I know who you're talking about. He, he plays Gilfoyle on Silicon Valley. I gotta get his name. <laughs> Because well, he's awesome. I mean, so while you're looking that up, I thought, you know, he did a really... I wonder how much... See, I would have loved to see how much Shia worked with the actors in terms of really getting into their heads about what he was feeling, maybe. Yeah, how like, intense I mean, were how, those fucking meetings? I know, that's what I'm, that's what I'm getting <laughs> at. Like, how, how awkward and crazy would those conversations have been? He's like, I wrote this, it's based on me, and... This is how it is. Also, I got to say, too, like, if you want a good representation of Shia's intensity, like, watch his Hot Ones episode. Yeah. Like the <laughs> Watch every Hot Ones episode. <laughs> that shows the Shout shit. Out. It's the best Shout show on, on the interwebs. Yeah. I loved his episode on Hot Ones. But you get you just get the, the level of intensity. It's always there with him. And that character, it comes across perfectly. But, yeah, he did a real good job of channeling his inner Shia. Yeah. If that's how we can say. <laughs> the dialogue you could tell was him. Oh yeah, absolutely. A, a lot. Martin Starr is Martin Starr. Is the rehab guy who tells him to go and scream in the forest. Yeah. Had to get his name in there because I love Silicon Valley. Okay. Man, but yeah, he was like just a little too some... blonde for me. <laughs> that's all. All right. Okay. Do you have any other so characters want... that you really liked in the movie? <laughs> yeah, so we'll, we'll get into a little bit of a, a controversial one here, I guess you could say. And I don't even know if she has a name. FKA Twigs. Her, her, her credit in the movie is literally Shy Girl. And so I know she's like a British like, R&B star or something. Oh, okay. Do you say the letters of her name? or is That's it what I was thinking. Ka. No, I think I FKA Twigs. That's yeah, a FKA cool name. Twigs, I think. So, <laughs> talk about complex characters and relationships in this film. This is by far one of the weirdest, <laughs> weirdest relationships slash dynamics of any two characters I've seen in a while. So her character and the young Otis develop this kind of platonic slash sexual intimate romantic bond Ro okay let's let's call it romantic but it's definitely a bond yeah they like kiss they right yeah and it's really weird like on the surface it's a really kind of creepy relationship because she does seem well okay so she's her really she's born in 88 
so the same year as me. So she's like 32, and she's on screen with a 12 year old. Is she playing? Probably not. She's probably playing a girl that's like 17 or 18. Probably, yeah, exactly. So that's what I'm guessing. She's still quite a bit older, but they share this relationship, I guess, on in the film, and not for very long in terms of screen time. But it was the weirdest sense of like I'm watching this going. I don't know how I'm supposed to feel about this, but it's really beautiful, whatever it is, and disturbing and creepy at the same time. <laughs> it's that old it's it's that I'm, it's that South Park episode where where uh, Ike is banging his teacher and the, all the cops are like, "Which one? The blonde?" Nice. <laughs> nice. Yeah. It's that because if it was a 12-year-old girl, you'd be like, "That guy belongs in prison." Yeah. But the fact yeah, that it's yeah, a hot yeah. chick and she's playing like 17, 18. Mm-hmm. Nice. I'm like, this is wrong. <laughs> this is awesome for the kid. Good for you. <laughs> exactly. And That's the difference yeah. right there. It's not and a victim this is, this attacker awful. type thing. <laughs> yeah. This is the most awful and beautiful thing I've ever seen. So <laughs> I loved how she kind of she kind of filled in that that emotional hole he was feeling with his father. Like everything he wasn't getting from his father, he was getting from her in terms of like this emotional. I was going to say, I hope it's just the emotional. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, it's hard to talk about this and just not sound like a total creeper, <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, like surprisingly enough, I thought it was really beautiful. Like the way they were able to capture the bond they have on screen. And once you get past the whole like intimate part of it, with the touchy and the feely and the kissing after that, I think once they meet up again, you really get the sense that she's kind of like a big sister, like a motherly character to him. Yeah. Just kind of checking in on him. I forget the line, but his dad walks in on them after she'd spent the night with him and is just like, what the hell's going on here? And, she basically just tells him, like, you're a piece of shit. You're never here for him when he needs you. And then fucking and... stiff arms bops his ass into the corner, which is hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then he's like, he's totally wasted drunk. But it's, I think it's that same scene, too. Yeah, that's but like the to... climax of the movie, right? And it's almost like his little relationship with the with the shy girl was was a big part of him, like, moving on. And stopping worrying about it, worrying about the the level of parenting or lack thereof that he was getting, it's almost like she kind of settled him down and and let him know that like pretty soon in a few years all you're going to be thinking about is hot chicks. <laughs> so just just go ahead and move along. It's so funny. Yeah. I have like the exact opposite reaction as in Parasite with the teenage girl and they're supposedly much closer in age than this movie yeah but yeah i liked her character a lot she has a bit of a traumatic life too living in a motel yeah yeah it's it's just real interesting and i bet i bet there's a bunch of element of truth to that like so how did to that part just, of the story yeah but before we move on from that like how did that hit you like their relationship him and the shy girl Young Otis and the Shy Girl. Well, you know, when I was a young boy, you know, kind of right after the 12-year-old age is when you, you know, for some kids, it happens way later, for some kids earlier or whatever, but when you really start to get involved with girls Mm -hmm. and into girls, 
I can only speak from a male perspective here. Sorry. But damn it. It means a lot. You know, like if you're dating an older chick or you have an intimate moment with an older chick, I'll share a little story here and I'll keep some names out. Okay. When I was, when I was 14, so Uh me and all my friends were freshmen in high school and my friend's older sister was a senior in high school and she had a bunch of smoking hot friends. And so a little bit closer. So we were like 14 and 17, 18. This is, this is like he, Shia's character is like two years younger, apparently, but not far off. And this was like right when we started drinking a lot and partying a lot and we're partying with all these older girls and nothing Mm -hmm. got like sexual, but it got very flirty with everybody there. Yeah. Like lap dances and shit. And it was like (laughs) a big deal as a young kid to have the older chicks be showing even the slightest bit of give back on a sexual flirty type of vibe. Okay. And I can see that this being totally true and something that had it stuck in his mind forever. Because the older yeah. chicks, when you're a young boy, are always the ones that got away, the older ones. Because they're like almost women at that point, if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, and I think another interesting thing, too, is now that I think about it, this is a flashback scene, right? All these younger scenes with him as a child are flashback scenes. So... Maybe the, the idea of this is not so much to get like the nuts and bolts of this is exactly how it happened, but more so as this is how I view the things that happened to me as I'm recalling them and as an adult. Yeah. Okay. So, like, so I guess what I'm trying to say here is the way they shot his interactions with her, the way it was played out and scripted, I definitely get the sense that he looks back on those memories with her fondly yeah yeah like that's definitely what i get that's his his first probably glimpse of what love is towards another chick and real like just real i guess emotion emotional connection with somebody yeah maybe like maybe he hadn't even gotten that from his mother she she's not in the film uh, other than a, a phone call but I, i'm not sure yeah it's interesting i was looking through the cast of characters and Natasha Leone plays mm-hmm. his mom and I was like man I don't remember seeing her in the movie at all and I don't think she is physically in the movie I think it's just over the phone yeah maybe she's a voice actress and that's an interesting part of uh, his childhood too because his mom seems to have her shit together a lot more yeah but why is he living the living with his dad in a shitty motel I don't know it's strange he had a strange childhood. I think that's what he's trying to get the point across. It yeah. It's really strange. For everything you can say, I guess, about the way his dad's portrayed in the film, his dad's there. Yeah. Even even if it's for, you know... I also get the sense that he, he mentions the money. Like, like young Otis says that you're only, the only reason you're here is because of the money. And while maybe part of that is true, I almost don't feel that that's the real reason why his dad's there. I feel like his dad's actually there because he wants his son to succeed. Mm. Like it's, it's, it's a weird, just complex thing. His, his dad has going on in the film. Yeah. Before we uh, move on from characters, I want to give Byron Bowers a shout out. He plays Percy homie in the rehab facility. And he's a, he's a hilarious comic, another comic getting into the movie. 
but I really liked Percy's character because he always had like these short, direct comebacks to Shia's character when he was like freaking out or whatever. Yeah, he always had these these perfect little like just shut up, man. You're sitting here in rehab. You could be in jail. Yeah, kind of comebacks to him. Definitely like the grounding source for him in rehab. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, see, that's just another example of how good the characters are. Because that's and, like probably totally a real guy too. Yeah, he's absolutely. probably still homies with with Percy. Mm-hmm. Might be yeah, a name like, change or something, but he really he really got everyone on screen right. Even the the offs are the the side characters in the motel. Like the ladies hanging out across. Yeah. You know? Like there's their their whole little world going on there. I've been in many a shitty hotels <laughs> and seen every version yep. of that that yeah. life. <laughs> yes. Yes we have. You more so. <laughs> Fuck, I've spent years <laughs> years in shitty hotels. Like if you add up days. <laughs> mm-hmm. Probably close to five or six years total living in shitty motels. All about that per diem. Yep. Love that per diem. <laughs> what what did you think about the cinematography in the movie? All right, man. So <laughs> I think another reason why this film's so easy to watch is how beautiful it looks. Yeah. And like I already mentioned the scene with him, kind of the over-the-shoulder perspective shots of him walking through the studio as a young kid, but the whole sequence of him on the back of a motorcycle with his dad going from the studio back to the motel, like even something as simple as that, the way it's shot, like you get these awesome like macro views of the California freeways and it's kind of like a nice representation of just the craziness. Then you get on this like really focused look of Otis on the back hugging onto his dad. And I loved how they showed him like dozing off on the back of the motorcycle and then his dad like hitting him, knocking him on the head to wake him back up. Just the way everything was shot was really intimate and you felt really close to the characters all the time. And a, a lot of the reason too, like I, I really liked the way that they shot, even if they didn't shoot on location in the motels, like you got the sense of the, these enclosed spaces, these really tight spaces where characters could really interact with each other. I, I really liked that. And I liked how focused and honed in the camera was at all times on these characters. You know what I really liked? They made shitty scenery look beautiful in the movie. Mm. Even all the motel shots when they're like driving into the parking lot or when he's in the little junkyard next to the to the motel. Yeah. Those are like kind of slummy conditions mm -hmm. for L.A. standards. Yeah. But really beautifully shot. And then when they're inside the motel room, mm -hmm. I really like how they mixed up cuts with back and forth shots. Did you notice that there's, there's a few scenes where uh, James Lord character is sitting between the two beds mm -hmm. in a, in a motel room and he's, he's standing at the foot of the beds. Yeah. And they're like, it's not a static shot from out back. That's just mm -hmm. they're both in, in frame. It's actually like a dude standing there in the room with them mm -hmm. going back and forth. And I actually yeah. really like that. And there's a lot of the movie where the camera's like moving. You're talking about you're talking about like in one take without cuts. Exactly. Just moving back and forth. Yeah, I love that style of shooting. And they did mix up a bit too, but there's a lot of scenes. And like, again, I, I want to say that that comes from 
Alma Harrell's documentary background too. Yeah. Probably. Feels like there was a lot of really long cuts and takes in that mm -hmm. in the motel room and I liked a lot of those scenes. I wonder if she uh was shown a screening of 1917 at all. But it's not like she... that, you know. <laughs> no, no. But you know what I'm saying just subtleties like when he's the scene when his dad's on the toilet after puking and he calls him mm -hmm. honey boy for the first time and he's sitting on the floor outside leaned up with his back against the bed. Yeah. Like they're going back and forth between them but they're also cutting mm -hmm. which is interesting it, it yeah. just felt the acting is so good that it feels really real well extremely I'll real i'll say this about about honey boy a lot of this film is talking like mm -hmm. 90 percent of this film are characters talking to each other yeah and so if you shoot that in the traditional way filmmakers shoot dialogue scenes between two characters that can get real boring really fast and you never get bored, I, I think, watching this film with the way it's shot. Yeah. Like, I felt they were able to keep you engaged with the way they told the stories between two characters on screen without giving you the same old, like, cut to behind the shoulder, cut to over their shoulder, cut back, give you a, a two shot. Yeah. Like, the, it was very, very more, like, it's more organic the way they did it. The style of movie that it is, it'd be really easy to check out early. Yeah. Totally. And it, it, it really keeps you engaged with the way it's shot and the whole look of the movie. There's a lot of really low sun angles mm -hmm. in the movie, like, you know, uh, late afternoon, sun going down type stuff. And yeah. that just, just comes across so beautiful on screen. Mm -hmm. I've heard directors say that you set up the film, the first shot of any film has to be amazing. Yeah. Because that tells you a lot about the film right off the bat if your first shot the way you frame it and what's on screen if it's interesting and it looks good then it's kind of like you can get into the film and be like all right we're gonna see something maybe that we're, we haven't seen before and you definitely get that with the first shot of this film i think it's like a close-up of older otis and then he just gets blasted away and then you see the the cables do you know what movie they're filming there because that's probably a real scene from a real movie that he did at that age right so if I had to guess, the only film I can think of with that kind of like effects is Transformers. But no, he wasn't young in Transformers. Oh, you're thinking when he's the adult. Mm hmm. Yeah. Oh, I'm thinking is, of the pie it, in the face. No, no. I'm, I'm thinking that's maybe like even Stevens or something. OK. But I'm talking about the very first shot of him, like as the older Otis. Oh, OK. Yeah. I, I feel like that was straight, like trying to tell you, oh, this is Transformers during that time. Is that the, the Megan Fox one? Mm-hmm. When she opens up the hood of the car? Woo! Yeah. Like, before Bumblebee came out, that was, like, the least offensive Transformers film. <laughs> Bumblebee? Yeah, they did... The, the last Transformers film they did was Bumblebee, and it had Haley Steinfeld in it, and it's a great film. I don't know anything that you just said. No? <laughs> no. Bumblebee? No, is that a Transformer? Transformer, yeah. Okay, I wasn't super into him <laughs> as Bumblebee kids. Bumblebee was the, the yellow Camaro in okay. those films. But, um, I don't know. Yeah, that was that was a film that came out like a couple years ago. Is Megan Fox in it? No, she's not. But right. Haley Steinfeld's great. Um, I'm not in. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't blame you. I can't blame you. Those films are garbage. Yeah. So. You said it was a great film, or were you being sarcastic? No, no, no. Bumblebee's a great film. Oh. All the other ones I thought were garbage. <laughs> They had to do a lot of selling on me to, to sit down and watch Bumblebee. Okay. 
and I was really surprised at how good that movie was. It's so beautifully shot film, Honey Boy. And I know there's a bunch of examples, too, that we missed and left out, but... It's shot really well. It's really pleasing to the eye. It's like a movie you could watch with the sound turned off for a lot of it, mm-hmm. and it would still be pleasing. Oh, okay. One one other quick thing I'll mention that I forgot to say about the way it was shot is uh, I really liked the motel scenes at night with the way he played with colors and the neon. Yeah. And the greens and, like, blues and pinks. I thought that really... It really brought out the beauty of just a really kind of scummy motel. Yeah. <laughs> and it's a, just another example, like you said, of bringing out the beauty in these weird sort of slummy L.A. locations. And I bet they shot that on location because they even have this. They get the smog. Mm-hmm. I yeah. mean, the smog from L.A., which right now there isn't any. Oh, yeah. Which is insane. Mm-hmm. But anyway. Yeah, the look of the yeah, movies. Right. The look of the movies great. It's perfect, and I love the the growing the weed next to the sprinklers. Those are some of my favorite scenes in the movie. They, how how well do you think that could do if someone actually did that? Oh, dude, we outside. You, it's a crapshoot. Like if you put it, I've seen pictures of dudes that plant seeds at their work parking lot next to a <laughs> next to like a sprinkler head. Uh-huh. And they get, they get massive, you know. They get massive. <laughs> so it's totally totally plausible. Yeah, especially in L.A. I mean, you couldn't Sweet. you couldn't get more perfect amount of sunlight, and to hide it between a bunch of freeway hedges right next to yeah. some sprinklers. That's <laughs> that's got to be true. Like yeah, I don't I was, think he made that up. I bet his I dad did away. that. It's awesome. And the plants like, look like genius. fucking weed plants. Uh-huh. At the end of the movie, they're big old bushy weed plants. <laughs> Take note, Guy Ritchie. <laughs> yeah. It's not that oh, hard. Man. It's not that hard. Do your research. <laughs> oh, man. But no, I yeah, love I, I love those shots, and they're looking out. I think it's over the L.A. River at one point at the end of the mm-hmm. movie. Yeah. And I've gotten to drive down in there, like where they film Grease and stuff. Yeah. You know, where they film the car scene and stuff. Mm-hmm. I've gotten to drive down in there for work before. Sweet. It's it's pretty cool. It's it's sketchy as hell getting in you and out of there. <laughs> no, they, it was actually during a big rain event and like the whole channel was flooded, which is oh, almost there never. Was water in there. I was driving in like four inches of water the whole time. Oh damn. It was sweet. I got some pictures cool. of it. I'll have to check those out after. LA looking beautiful on camera and everything else in this film looking great. Did anything stand out to you in terms of score? I mean, were you able to... Did anything hit you listening to the film at all? That's the, the one thing I can't really recall too much. There was, it's fair. There, it's was, fair. there was nothing that, like, bothered me. Mm-hmm. I almost feel like the music in the movie was, was good. Mm-hmm. And, and right on, like, I, I, I think I remember quite a bit of just, like, rock and roll in the okay. movie. But I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not really sure. That's okay, the one so thing in the movie that I really like, can't remember much of at all. Yeah, no worries, no worries. One thing I'll say about the score is earlier I'd mentioned how everything in the film is very complimentary, and that includes the score. So it was something I was paying attention to from the very beginning. And one thing I'll say about it is the score is very, very simple and minimalistic. So a lot of times you'll have like one piano, maybe like a string, like a cello or something in the background, but that's it, like bare bones. Everything that I heard 
from the score sounded very just lonely, like isolated, lonely. I get that score, and or I, I was getting from the score. And if that was their intention, then that that weaves into the film so well because you get into Otis's kind of disconnect from his dad and from the rest of the people around him and just how kind of alone he is in these moments that comes across right in through the score. And I thought that it complemented everything really, really well. Like there's a beautiful piece again with the whole sequence of him on the motorcycle with his dad riding in the back, this really like isolated bare bones score going on in the back with a piano. And it's really, really moving and really, really beautiful. But you really get that sense of, like the isolation and the loneliness, even coming out from the notes of the music. Nice. Just really well thought out. Yeah. Yeah, for me, I think I only really remember the score when it bugs me. Okay, yeah. I think if it doesn't bug me, it's right where it needed to be. (laughs) Well, here's the thing, too. A lot of times they say that if the score sometimes is not meant to be noticed. Just complimentary. Yeah, it's almost meant to just enhance your feel of a scene or whatever and if that's what it did then it did its job but in this case i thought that it was also just really beautiful all right all right so let's move on to some love hates what'd you love what'd you hate about the movie all right so i loved i loved a lot of things about the film but i i'd say the strength of the film are the performances this film had great performances across the board i think this is shia labeouf's best role that i've seen him in and Noah Jupe, Lucas Hedges, FKA Twigs, everyone that had any kind of screen time, I thought did a great job of portraying their characters and really got into the just the whole meat of what their character was about. And I would definitely say the performances are what made this film interesting to watch and kept me engaged for the whole thing. And if I had to say, I don't know, a critique, maybe, I'm trying to remember what scene it was specifically. It might have been, I can't remember if it was the scene where his dad comes home pretty hammered and they have that intense moment. But I felt like, and it's not even a critique of that scene, but I felt like they squeezed out the emotion all the way to the end. And if they would have continued, it would have been too much and too cheesy. Yeah, if it was like like a super embrace, I'm going to be the best dad ever type of ending. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and it was it was almost like getting to that point for me, but then they pull back right at the end, and I'm just like, Whew, okay, cool, we're good. <laughs> so that's not even a critique; it's just something I noticed. But there there isn't really anything in the film I can hate on. Yeah, same here. My, what about you? Uh, what I loved about the movie is Shia's acting as his dad. It's mm-hmm. really good, and then I love all the weed at the end of the movie. <laughs> that's that's great. I think that's the perfect way to approach major emotional problems in your life. Could you make you... any guess as to what they were smoking at all? <laughs> no. <What>? No. <laughs> like, what What would you have gone for in that moment? No, if so this were... takes place, it would be like in the early 90s, right? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I didn't start smoking weed till about 1999, so I have no idea. And the shit I was smoking back then was garbage it didn't look like (laughs) anything that that he grew on the side of that road but in terms of hating on the movie there's there's not really anything i could hate i would have uh made lucas's hair a little darker 
<laughs> That's it. I would have oh, made his. Man. I would have made his hair a little darker. I get you. <laughs> See, these are these are our critiques of this film. I think we're it's doing all right. We're nitpicking. Yeah, we're trying to come up with with stuff. All right, so here's here's the moment everyone's been waiting for. And El Tato, I'll start with you, man. What do you rate, Honey Boy? I'm gonna give the movie four bong loads. Four, okay. Four. It's a really good movie. The acting is phenomenal, and it's different. It's a biographical movie, so it doesn't have the same kind of character arc that most stories that we listen to do. So yeah. I appreciate that it's different, but it's not like the greatest movie ever made. Yeah. So it's getting a four. Cool. It's That's on totally the res- same level as uh, Sonic. Totally, totally fair. different movie, but a a damn good movie. And I don't remember what I was smoking when I watched this. This was like over a week ago, so <laughs> I don't remember what I was smoking. Anything you're smoking is gonna be good for but this. What would movie. you recommend to the listeners? Anything? Anything? Any strain? Cool. Anything, and it's on streaming, so get comfortable in your house. And what I will say is, like this movie, it, it's not gonna, it's not gonna be boring. You'll no, turn it on no. and definitely want it, want to finish it, type of movie. Absolutely. So four. Absolutely. Cool. Well, for me. I'm going to go just a little higher, and I'm going to give this four and a half buckets of popcorn. I thought there was, you could even argue for me that this is a five, but I'm going to give it a four and a half. I think the writing was great. The acting was awesome. It's beautifully shot. I loved every aspect of the film, to be honest. And I feel like you don't have to be like a fan of Shia LaBeouf, or you don't have to be interested in like super depressing or like difficult stories to to get any enjoyment out of this film anyone can sit down and watch this film and get something out of it it's engaging and it's interesting to watch and i was kind of surprised by that i was really blown away by it yeah when you when you hear that it's a biographical it's a story of his childhood like i said before it would be a really easy movie to just check out of and be like all right this is just him whining about his childhood and it doesn't come across that way at all and that's what no. i really appreciate about the movie mm-hmm. and it, it asks some some difficult questions and it leaves you in a place that doesn't give you a nice little wrapped up tidy bow at the end so it, it gives you something to think about and i think those are oftentimes some of the best movies you'll go out and watch but yeah so i couldn't recommend the film more it's it's on amazon prime right now streaming so if you have an account i definitely recommend putting it on at some point especially now you got the time Um, people yeah so stay at home and give it a give it a go and hopefully we kind of talked a little bit about some of the deeper elements of it without spoiling too much i don't know if it's a spoily type of movie no you know it's not like a big twist or anything in it no so give it a shot but yeah that's episode 14 from the buff and the blazer i'm drew with el tato and thanks for joining us And we'll catch you guys next time. See you later, people. Stay safe out there.